All right, guys, welcome back to Surviving Hollywood. I'm Johnny Ray Diaz. I am Aaron Arnold. I am Austin Arnold. And uh, we just had a, uh, an amazing conversation with uh, casting director Jessica Sherman. Uh, you might recognize her from some super notable stuff, uh, casting director on Bates Motel, um, and also on the Oscar-winning short Skin, um, which that's pretty awesome. And then she's also worked on a, a huge, huge, big budget stuff as a casting assistant from uh, Star Wars, The Force Awakens, Mission Impossible, Super 8. Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek. I mean, my God, every sci-fi huge movie you can think of. Um, and, uh, you know, for me personally, uh, I was just amazed at how wonderful she was. She was so like courteous and just like, you could tell she's just like a really nice person. You for thought sure. she was going to be... Mean? No, what? No, of course, of course <laughs> not, dude. She was willing to come on our podcast. She wasn't going to be mean, but I'm just saying, you never know. You never know in terms of like working, talking to a casting director. And I think because actors have this idea that casting directors tend to be like more us versus them in a way. Um, and she explained that it's definitely not that way. So also we have had guests before that aren't, that aren't as open to right. share and, and nurture and educate. She was super open to help. You felt nurtured. I feel so nurtured. <laughs> I learned a lot. I Me learned too. a lot. Me you too. Know? I really um, liked, uh, I mean, she did spend some time talking about the process for doing the uh, global casting uh, call for the Star Wars Force Awakens, casting Ray, casting John Bottega's role. And that was cool hearing her talking about casting the Force Awakens. So I was wondering why I never got to audition for that. I think I remember seeing those like the like the like the email that says you can audition for this. I can't remember if I sent in a tried to get an audition, but to me it kind of looked like originally at the time I didn't know if it was like some fake thing. You know, some of those sites trying to collect like sixty bucks or whatever. Yeah, and like hey, go show up to this <laughs> show up to this oh, mall, yeah. have your parents sign up and pay a hundred bucks. I know, but it was real. Yeah. That's... Anyways, that wasn't the case. She tells us all about it. Everybody, yeah. this is your definitive podcast to go to if you have any questions on uh, the casting department if you're an actor. So guys, enjoy this Is there something that you're doing to pass the time at least? Or you got into like new hobbies at all? Um think uh not i mean i'm walking i'm spending a lot more time outside i think is the thing that I, I surprised me um but i i'm from la originally and i probably have gone more to the beach during quarantine than i have in my entire life so i think there's something about that a good way to do it <laughs> how about you guys uh i mean the occasional walk to whole foods with a mask obviously <laughs> <laughs> but that's it uh, well, wherever you can get your fresh yeah. air i guess yeah i got i got a dog during uh this lockdown so uh it's give me it's an excuse to go out like four or five times a day mm. so what kind of dog uh he's a little jack russell jack russell oh. mix um he is a handful of energy though <laughs> lots of energy yeah a lot of times i don't want to go out and he's like no we're going outside okay <laughs> we will do that yeah uh, Anyway, well, thank you for coming on. And uh, you kind of mentioned that you were uh, born in L.A. Um, I'm always kind of curious because none of us are from L.A. I'm sure you get this quite often anyway. Um, but how is your perspective of the industry different living here? It's, I think it's probably different from people that like went to high school in L.A. Because I like I kind of bopped around a bit. I, I grew, like grew up my first five years in West Hollywood and then my parents moved to Palmdale, Lancaster Palmdale area. Okay. And so I like grew up and went to high school there, but my grandparents lived in in Koreatown, so I was here like summer break, spring break, like I spent so much time in LA. So I wasn't I didn't have like direct exposure to the industry. Um and didn't really have any sort of like celebrity sightings or experiences until I was probably at the end of my like high school career. Mm. So before I had no exposure to it and now I can't get away from it. <laughs> Who was the celebrity? It was, I feel like I, it was, it was always at the coffee bean on sunset. Rick Springfield. Is that where he hangs out? Rick, I don't know. 
Now, who is it? <laughs> uh, no, I, I saw Brittany Snow there uh, when she was still doing, what is that show, American Dreams? Rest in peace. Yes. And then. Um, uh, wait, wait, she's not dead. That's somebody else, right? Brittany Murphy. No. Brittany, Brittany, Brittany Murphy. Brittany Murphy. I, uh, yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about the show Rest in Peace. Not <laughs> 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 but like, yes, it was canceled. Like, shortly after, but <laughs> no, but she, uh, she, her, Denise Richards, uh, Ryan Seacrest. It was like, it was like the hub for everybody to oh, get yeah. the coffee, apparently. So. Out. I remember one time I saw before I, when I was barely moving here, I saw John C. Riley at a coffee shop reading a book. Oh. And I was like, man, I really want to say something because I'm such a fan. But he looked so focused and engrossed in this book. I was like, no, I don't want to be that guy. I'm going to leave him yeah. alone. Yeah. Was it in Studio City or in Hollywood? I think it was in Hollywood. I think it was in There's, Hollywood. Do you guys know Arts Deli? I feel like they all hang out there in studio city i've never been there yeah well just in case you want to find one of those guys they're there usually and not now, not now. Go. Yeah. <laughs> all right I, I do just want to say if john c Riley goes to a coffee shop in hollywood i think he wants to be talked to right <laughs> that's fair yeah it was uh maybe not it was, it was hey man it was, i don't remember it was probably around the time of talladega i don't know when it was it was a <laughs> while ago it was a while ago it was it's weird to see him play such a wild character and then it's like very astutely just reading a book i don't know mm -hmm. Anyway, um, so Jessica, when do you think uh, the movie industry is going to get back to, to making movies like it used to? Or what are your thoughts on that? Because you know, you've cast some big stuff. You probably have the inside ear to the industry. Well, I mean, that's a very big question to start with. Um, <laughs> I, th you know, it's, I feel like it's really hard to say. It's going to take some time for people to figure out what, what this sort of new, new cautious normal is going to be. Um, it's, I feel like just even the casting process, it's going to take probably two years to, to, to find some normalcy just for people to feel comfortable being in the room. And the same will go for, I think, you know, having these huge blockbusters because there's, you know, hundreds of people on set for these different massive movies. You know, I think just seeing it now with the stuff that I've been working on pre-COVID and now in the middle of it, they're rewriting scripts to make the scenes less, like more of them to be outdoors, more of them to be fewer actors, less extras. So I think, you know, they're actively making accommodations to make sure that the cast and crew are safe. Um, but I, I, I think it's so hard to tell until there's like a vaccine and everybody starts feeling comfortable having the vaccine. And, you know, it's gonna, I think it's gonna be a while, a while guys. <laughs> yeah. I saw, I saw on it. Actors Access, they're rolling out a new thing called EcoCast Live, mm -hmm. where you'll audition, you'll sign up for a time slot or get assigned and you'll audition right from your room or whatever, live for yeah. them. Have you been using that? They just launched it, I think, last week. So hmm. I have, and they're still sort of making adjustments to accommodate what we need. But um, I think it's, you know, the virtual audition is going to be the new in the room for a long time. Um, and and then, you know, we'll still have self-tapes, obviously. But I think it's the a way that I can see myself adjusting to it is normally when I uh, bring actors in, I'll, I typically prioritize the actors that I already know I think that could be right for the role. And then, like, the, like the next day or the following day after that, it'll then be, like, actors I'm less familiar with but could be right. And then self-tapes happen for the actors that I'm not as familiar with or who are just not here. So... I think it'll sort of be the same system from at least personally speaking, like the virtual auditions will be the actors that I know that, that could, that are right for the role. Then it'll be, you know, sort of in that same sense. And then self tapes will be still very much a resource for actors and for us to introduce ourselves to actors that we're not as familiar with. That's pretty interesting. Cause then you'll be able to give them live direction in the, in the scene. The only, I guess my only concern is like, what if it, the signal drops out or like, you know, yeah, I mean, like I think it's we're like... all trying, we're all trying to figure out what um, sort of the standard to give actors is just like um, as much information as possible on how to set it up before we all get into this. So I'm sure if you're using EcoCast Live, they'll probably send you like, this is the best way to have the strongest signal or, you know, they're telling us right. you should rather than using Wi Fi, you should hardwire your computer to the, your modem router one of those things. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that, you know, once we sort of figure out what we need, we'll try to make sure that the actors have just as much information. And what, be even before this, when I would have sort of um, 
virtual director sessions because the director was in LA and the actor was in the UK or New York or wherever they were, I would have the actor tape the, um, the audition on their end as well. And for me, the ideal is to always have, like for the actor ha to have a reader with them in the room. So if the actor feels comfortable to have a reader in their room during this whole, you know, pandemic situation, then I think that I would request that as well. If they want, if they can have a reader with them and record it on their end, so that the director or the producer or myself are just watching and redirecting, that's sort of the best case scenario because then you don't really have to account for technical difficulties or, or connection drops because we'll still have that sort of backup tape. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that, that sounds like a lot. I was going to say that that would make it a lot easier because, you know, that would be the worries like the other person on the other side, like they, oh, I didn't hear you say that line and cut yeah. out or be kind of weird and stuff like that. Um, do you ever think that like it will, I mean, even if there is a vaccine, who knows if there even will be one, mm -hmm. um, do you ever envision uh, Hollywood kind of going back to the old formula, like being in the room with directors and producers and stuff? I, I mean, I, th I would like to think that I would go back. Like for me, it's always a personal preference to be in the room. And I think it, this the sort of silver lining of this horrible situation is that I think there will be less pressure on everybody in terms, you know, there are productions that are talking about doing French hours on set. So not 12 hour days, 15 hour days, you're gonna have eight hour days or, or whatever the French hours are. Um, so having that sort of mindset, but in all departments, so like we don't have to see double the actors in one day, we can, we can spread it out and not try to jam pack the days. And that's sort of the expectation across the board. But, you know, I have heard other casting directors that are like, you know, I'm an introvert and I'm loving this sort of, yeah. you know, being <laughs> able to cast virtually. So I may never go back into an office again. So, you know, I think everybody's going to be different on how they adapt to it. Um, but I personally, like, I need human connection. I need to feel like we're sort of working towards something together. And I, I don't know, because I haven't done it yet. I don't know if I'll have that same sense doing it virtually. Right. But who knows? One, one thing, I, <laughs> one thing I noticed with self tapes is that it just, for, at least on our side, it takes so much longer. I mean, I, mm. I, I feel like a self tape will take me four or five hours or a half day just to put together from like set up shooting editing sending off um as opposed to just walking in there doing it and then you're just like yeah. you're done i mean you're um, your own worst critic so it's i know to know which take is the best take I totally that. and that's and i think that's one of the one of the one of the issues but it'll be interesting to see where it, it kind of uh evolves to or, or where it where it goes but at least it's, in some ways it's kind of opening more opportunities for other things like that you know i think so yeah so that's that's really good what uh, what would you say your biggest pet peeve is? Is it bad lighting or bad sound in a self tape? Um, bad sound and bad framing. Really? Yeah, because I feel like people either they get too creative and it's like an art art house project, or um, I, I get a lot of tapes from the East Coast that are primarily like not primarily, but there are a lot of them are in full body frame the entire time. And like to a degree I understand because most of these actors are theater actors and it's your whole body that's involved in the performance. But for the purpose of TV and film, like we need to see your face. So in terms of self-tape, it should always be, or you know, even in my office when I'm, I'm taping somebody, it's usually about mid-bust up, basically the frame of a Zoom call. Um, and lighting is important. I don't think you have to get anything, like be too crazy fancy with it. If you could do natural lighting and find some a space that's mostly balanced so you don't have um, you know, so that we can see your eyes is, is really important too. Um, and then sound is also super vital. I think that if you are watching your tape back and there's any question, if you can hear yourself, you, it's not a good tape to send in. And uh, I know these are basic questions, but what do you think? Uh, hold the script, use the script, don't use the script. What do you think? Um, I would say, I don't care if you have it in your hands, but you, we don't need to see it. I think it's definitely because I'm usually cutting like when, because I'm mid bust anyways, your, your pages are usually below the frame that I'm shooting in my office. So I won't see it and nobody else will see it. So if you need to glance down, you'll glance down, but nobody will know you have the pages when they're walking, watching it back. So I, I would say have it, use it, but only use it as a security blanket. If it's in front of your face, we have a bigger problem. <laughs> so I think, you know, just 
if you hold that thought. Let me, uh, uh, I remember <laughs> we had we had a Kara shoot Rosenbaum on uh, mm. not too long ago, and she said that she doesn't mind the script, but for some reason in self tapes she hates seeing it. Yeah. You know? So she like, said, yeah. She said she would prefer a cut, like two different takes, very a quick cut rather than that script. Rather than seeing the pages come out. I mean, I don't care if it comes like in the frame briefly, but if if it's something that's like consistently obvious i feel like you're not doing yourself any favors but i think you know if you need it as a reference point use it don't be afraid to do that and during i mean obviously everyone took a hit in this in this time but um have you find, found yourself casting stuff again indie stuff or it, i think i think it's just beginning to start right now i've I, there's stuff that i was consulting on before the pandemic and so um, we're sort of trying to figure out what, what it's going to look like. So, you know, if the actor that we already attached to the project is comfortable shooting in October in New York, then, you know, we'll sort of move forward. Um, but new stuff, I think, you know, maybe some, some, like very few indies are sort of picking up right now because it's such a huge hit to them even more, I think, than studio projects, because I think the baseline for budgets are going to have to increase drastically. Uh, because of all the precautions that you have to take in, in place and, you know, have a whole department dedicated to sanitizing and te checking temperatures and, and testing and just the testing in itself is such a huge, you know, impact on the budget. So I think it may, the indie market, I think might be quiet for a little bit, sadly, which that's is. What I, that's what I was going to ask you actually, because yeah. a, a friend of mine that was getting ready to direct another SAG indie, Mm -hmm. he was asking me questions about stuff and he's like i'm gonna have to go non-union because the guidelines are so wild and they're the budget is we just don't have it yeah. so we're gonna we're gonna have to skip out on i guess he had to recast because you know he couldn't use union actors anymore um but that's what i was wondering if you think they're gonna really take a hit but it sounds like they they probably are yeah i think so for a bit at least yeah. so is uh casting an art or a craft or a job, and what attracts you to casting? What is it about casting that that, that you like? I like to think it's a craft. <laughs> you know, it's it's for me. I think it's definitely uh, a, an art in the way that you we have a huge d database of casting directors of actors, and it's really finding the right fit for the role. It's not you know, it's not just throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what sticks in terms of like looks or whatever it is. I think it's you know, it's very much assembling a puzzle and and the picture is constantly changing as you are putting the picture together so you don't you never know what it's going to end up looking like but i think that that's it's definitely something that you have to have a sort of a instinct for um especially when working with actors and to try to find the nuance and the performances to make to highlight them in the right way for the filmmakers that you're working with. So it's really about knowing what the actors are capable of as well as what the filmmakers are attracted to. Um, and I think like my exposure to casting was very sort of pursued, but also kind of fell into it because I started working uh, in the industry in as a, a sort of office manager at a voiceover agency. And so that was my first exposure to actors and working with them. I, you know, I had no experience. I never wanted to be an actor. I could never do what you guys do. So, um, so it, that was sort of my first thing. And I was talking to voiceover casting directors and I thought, you know, this, this has to be a thing on the theatrical side too, because nobody, you know, nobody talks about casting, especially back then. I think more recently, we've sort of as a community hustled and struggled to get a little bit more notoriety within the, you know, the industry, but um, back then nobody was really talking about it. So I didn't know that it was a career by any means. Um, but when, when I was exposed to it, because on the voiceover side, when you're, when you're auditioning actors, there's a lot of autonomy on the agent side of things that, you know, they just have their clients audition the people that they think are right for the role. And then they send the auditions to casting unless they're special requests. And so, you know, I got to see the casting process from the agency's perspective. And so that was sort of a unique experience and, and that's what sort of attracted me to casting, generally speaking. And once I, I didn't really know what I was getting into once I started pursuing it and got my first job. And then when I did, it was like, basically like Mecca. Like I, I realized this was, this is what I wanted to do for sure. Nice. And what do you think uh, you do 
well because you clearly are doing something well because you, you've casted you know so many cool things so what do you think is it, is it just <laughs> see, is, is it just seeing the strength of the actors or is it maybe you uh work with the director more or i guess i guess what sep what separates you from other casting directors you think in terms of your style i guess is a I mean, yeah. in terms of the kind of content that I'm attracted to, like I'm really, I really gravitate towards like uh, character driven stories and that's really exciting for me. So what I, I think growing up in the office, I worked with April Webster for like seven years and that's where I started. And it was literally the first and last office I was in. And so, you know, working with April, I really got to see her love of working with actors. And I think that's what makes her so unique about how she works is because she really gets to know the actors and there's a sense of comfort and a safe space. And because of being able to learn from her and, and in that environment, I think that's also sort of what sets me apart as well, that I can really get a sense of who the act, like the essence of the person and see if it could match the characters. And so I think that for me, especially, I worked on a, a project just before all this sort of went down um, which I can't really talk about, but like the process was very unique in the sense that it was just having, it wasn't, there were no sides, there were no, you know, formal auditions. It was just having a conversation with somebody and getting mm -hmm. to know them and their interests and that sort of thing. And I think that was really sort of satisfying to me because it already sort of emphasized what I do on the regular. So it's having those sort of that, that knowledge and that background of who's out there and what they can do but also being able to have candid conversations with the filmmakers and, and knowing what they're looking for and also pushing when, when it's the right time to push and working with those creatives that, are, that trust you. And I think that's a really big thing because a lot of people, because they don't really teach casting or what casting directors do in film school, a lot of directors come out and they have no idea what the, what the real job of a casting director is. And so they don't, they don't know that like our job is to guide you and to educate you on who's out there and, and to sort of like fill the space uh, that, you know, maybe you haven't seen uh, in your vision, you know? So I think when you have, there was a, there's a director that I'm, I've been working with for the last several, like almost a year now that he, you know, he saw an actor in a very specific way and I had this actor on a list and he was like, no, I don't see it with her. And I pushed and said, you know, you haven't seen all her work. She, she has a huge range. And but at the end of the day, he was like, you know what, let's keep her on. I trust you completely. So like that is super satisfying to me to be able to guide you sort of the creative vision as well through the casting process. Very cool. I like it. And how does the casting director get representation? Like I know you're repped by UTA. Representation is a sort of a loose term. Uh, they don't like, they don't rep us the way that you guys have agents and managers. It's more about, you know, we have relationships with agents and when we sort of need their help, they negotiate our contracts. So nobody's actively sort of looking for work for us besides ourselves or, you know, for us, it's typically word of mouth referrals or, you know, just networking that we've done in the past, basically. It's hmm. interesting. Even with like a, like TV projects and all that, it's all typically word of mouth, essentially? Or like, yeah, we like to I work mean, on this and... Yeah, TV is a little trickier because um, it's very, it's very sort of old school kind of clickish um, in the sense that when you, when you decide to go be an independent casting director. So when I left April in 2017, I, even though I had been a casting director under her umbrella for three years at that point, um, I had to go introduce myself to all the studios and networks as an independent casting director. Hmm. So they, they didn't know me outside of the scope of, of her office. So, you know, I had to go have all of my general meetings, which I now understand are very uncomfortable, <laughs> you know? So I think that, that that was a very sort of jarring experience and, and a lot of studios and networks, they just like to work with the people that they like to work with. And, uh, you know, it's those casting directors that have been around for ages. And so it's a little bit trickier for my generation of casting directors to get in, to, to break back into television, unless what has been more common um, these days is partnerships within casting offices. And, and especially with TV, because they sort of get like, they, if they don't know you, they want two for the price of one sort of deal. And so 
they have assurance that it'll get done because there's two of you doing it because they don't know either one of you or maybe they do know one out of the two. So I, that's, I didn't I didn't know that that you guys do like sort of generals. I guess that makes sense though. Is do they typically like what kind of things would they ask you? Would they ask you like do they ever ask you like okay what do you kind of envision with the show like in terms of like are there questions like the, that? I mean I think it, it's more sort of um, getting a sense of your taste and if it aligns with the network's taste. Okay. Um, what are you watching? You know, what, how, what was the process like for casting this show? Um, who, you know, who, who are you excited? Who are you currently excited about that maybe we don't know? So I think it's having sort of a sense of like the uh, development, developmental talent that's out there that they're, they haven't quite hit it yet. Mm. Um, and so the, or it's just like a very awkward conversation that you just are not prepared for in any which way. Like I went to a network, I won't say which one, but it was such a like jarring experience for me that the executive was like, why did, Why are we meeting again? What was the thing? Okay. Like, uh, okay. And basically told me what I was missing from my resume was a sexy pilot. And I was like, yeah, that's why I'm here. <laughs> So we, we sort of, I think, you know, a lot of actors don't realize that we, we live parallel lives, casting and actors. Mm. And so, you know, they go to the marquee names for actors, they go to the marquee names for casting. So we all understand sort of your experience. <laughs> so I, I would say, you would say it might be probably kind of hard to, for like a new casting director that has no experience or like no network connections to really break in, right? Mm. Really, pretty difficult. We, yeah, I think it's, uh, for television particularly, film is a little, I mean, India is such a huge space w right. before all this was going down that I think there was so much flexibility and there's so much content out there for independent films because I think studios are not taking r as many risks anymore. Like it's, they're all franchise films, they're all reboots, whatever it's going to be. So a lot of the eyes are on the festival circuits. And that's really where you, you know, I when I was an assistant and associate, I was casting thesis films I was casting you know any student films that I was like particularly attracted to because I was building relationships with with directors and so now those directors are doing their indies and so they're reaching out to me and you know so that those are those sort of like um more guaranteed jobs and and tv is just a, a tiny bit more political but by, by the way you casted a, a phenomenal film called the zim uh, um, which we actually saw I think it was at Pasadena film yeah. festival uh, we had a film of ours that, were, that was playing at the festival as well. And we obviously saw a bunch and we remember seeing that one. Uh, and I was like blown away by that movie. I was like, man, this, this should be a feature. Like this yeah. was so, so, that, so wait, good. That's the one about Africa and the, the wars in Africa? In Zimbabwe, yeah. Yeah, there was like turmoil the between seizures. like the, yeah, exactly, land seizures yeah. and stuff. Um, yeah, yeah that movie really, was really good. I cast that, I mean, I say cast loosely, but um, because uh, the director was also the lead in it, uh, who played Daniel Silva, I think that was the character's name. But he, he, you know, I met him through the casting process, like just auditioning him over the years, and we just became great friends. And when he had mm -hmm. the short, it was such a great script that, you know, I wanted to help in any way. And then it turned out to be a great short, so it worked out yeah. nicely. Yeah, it was a fantastic short. Yeah. Our, uh, our film festivals, a good way for actors to get on a casting director's radar like would you absolutely. find you would pick you would bookmark an actor that you saw in a film there oh yeah absolutely i definitely because i've i mean i've gone i've seen films left the film festival and then like looked up the whole lineup for the film like the festival just to find one actor so mm -hmm. it's definitely something i think you know i think the idea is that we're our eyes are always open when we're watching anything like I there is not a time when I'm watching a show that my phone is not open on IMDb Pro like I'm con I'm like oh who's that Ooh, who's that constantly so I think you know it's it's never we're never just like only looking at actors when we're auditioning you have a go-to show right now oh, I'm, I'm all over the place right now <laughs> um I watched Normal People I watched Fleabag again I watch, okay. I'm halfway through Dead to Me. Um, what did I just watch? I oh, I'm watching Flaybag. episodes. Okay, oh, watched, well, that was I'm with watching, uh, Ricky Gervais? Uh, no, uh, I mean, I, the... it, it was a UK show originally. They did an American version, but right. it's with Matt LeBlanc. It's, Matt LeBlanc, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I, 
Ricky Gervais. Oh, speaking of which, Afterlife is a really good show if you haven't seen that. I haven't heard of that one actually. It's on Netflix. It was his, yeah. Okay. Really good. All right. Uh, there's so much. That's like the one thing that I've been doing is just consuming all sorts of content. Just binging everything. Yeah. Basically. Uh, I've been watching, what is it, Little Voice on Apple right now? There's so many shows. Yeah. I, I haven't even heard of that show. <laughs> it's, a, it's a new um, Bad Robot, Sarah Borelli's. Uh, oh, series. nice. Okay. I haven't, I haven't watched any of the Apple shows yet. I haven't got on the Apple Plus thing or whatever it is. Got to watch Hamilton, dude. I've, I'm watching Hamilton right now. It's I'm like halfway through. It's long. That's on Disney. That's on Disney. That's Disney, Plus, I know. Yeah. But on the Apple stuff, I don't know anything that's on there really. I just haven't really. It's not that much that at side. this point, I think. Yeah, just Disney doesn't have anything either. It's just Hamilton. That's all they have. And Mandalorian. So. But it has like the whole vault in there. You're, you'll be busy True. for a while. <laughs> I know. I know. I think for parents, if you have kids, you just put on Disney Plus, leave them there, and just walk away. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Those old Disney movies and cartoons a little problematic now, though. Yes, I think there are some issues there. <laughs> I think they took they, they took away Gone from the Wind, didn't they? I think they pulled that movie off of their platform. I uh, that was uh, somebody did HBO Max. Was yeah. it okay? Yeah, so that they're the, putting it back on. Are they okay? That had putting the, like a disclaimer on it. Wasn't the, the black woman who played Mammy like the first black woman to win and get or to get nominated for a supporting Academy yeah. Award? Yeah. That's history. Yeah. No, I think, it, um, yes, we can't get into it, but <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> but yes, it should be on there with a the disclaimer. It's, I agree with that part. And you hey, also, go ahead. I'll let you, uh, I was just going to transition. Um, what do you wish actors understood more when they come in or send a self-tape to you? If we didn't think you could do it, we wouldn't bring you in. I think that's the sort of like banner I'd like to wave just because I think you know I hear a lot of my actor friends sort of lament about their casting experiences and like or I've been brought in so many times but I've never booked and like all of these things that I keep hearing and we're not here to sabotage you because we're just wasting our time if we do so I think the bottom line is if we're bringing you in if you have a self-tape request it's because we think you can do it or you know if it's a self-tape request we want to get to know you better you know so i think mm -hmm. that that's we it's not it should never and i and i don't know where this comes from maybe it's an acting class like drama program sort of thing where it's the dynamic is created as a us versus them experience for auditioning and it doesn't have to be that way i understand that there are bad experiences in casting there are bad experience in every field you, it doesn't sort of blanket the whole thing. So I think it's understanding that, you know, we're, we're sort of working towards the same goal. I would have thought that rather than us versus them mentality, I, I would have thought like, you probably see a lot of actors coming in there going, well, I can do something else. Do you want me to, I can, you know, the other scene or like too willing to please or something. Yeah. I think there's, you know, there's definitely that element too. And I think that that's a sort of dangerous space to be in as well. Um, Cause I think the, the experience is so important and I, this is again, I don't know how this is going to feel doing this all virtually. Um, but I think, you know, the audition, it's like, whether or not you kill the role is not going to matter. The experience that I have while you're in my room is the thing that's going to be memorable to me. So if it's a wonderful experience and we have a great time and you leave and we all feel good about it, great. I'm probably going to want to bring you in for the next thing. If it's very uncomfortable, and, and that whole sort of like, I can do anything else energy <laughs> is, you know, it, it comes off as being inexperienced, I think. And that sort of green and uh, tone to it all. So I think that's such a dangerous place because I don't know if you are ready for this opportunity. So I think it's really about sort of being present, asking questions if you have them, um, you know, if you didn't feel good about it, if there was something that you bumped against, and this is gonna be a per kind of casting director experience is, you know, asking if you can do another take. Me personally, my sort of MO in the room is that you do your take and then you do my take. So you come in, do what you've prepared, ask any questions that are gonna help make your choices, and then I'm gonna adjust you. 
and then, you know, if we need to do more, if there's like some fine tuning, then we will, if it's, you know, and if not, if we struck gold on the first one, then I don't need to do anything else either. How do you feel about the actor being in character the entire time? That's always something that we've always kind of dabbled with. Like, do we come in there? Like yeah, come in, in the, the room character? as the character is what people say sometimes. Yeah. yeah. I think if it's a really heavy character and, and like, a good example is the last series I worked on, one of the huge series regulars was a serial killer. So very few people can Bates come Motel? in. Uh, no, oh, it's a, a TNT series that hasn't aired yet. But, um, but you know, they would, I, I would never expect an actor to be like, hey, how's it going? And then turn into a serial killer. We've got, it feels dangerous territory in that space, but um, I think, you know, do I am aware of what kind of material I'm giving you and, and if you need to be in character at the beginning of it, great. I would love to see who you are at the end of it when you're done. Um, but I think that's totally fine. It's good to know. So I won't, I won't, I won't be eager to please anymore. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there any, um, in terms of also being in the room, is there any specific you kind of mentioned a few things, but is there any other advice you might give to an actor that's that's coming in there? I think don't treat it as like a precious experience because I think that's what gives off of like that sense of desperation um, that you have to feel like this is going to happen again in order for to be sort of chill in the room. Um, and no excuses. I think that's the one thing that drives me mad is that when actors come in and they have like a laundry list of excuses as to why they're not prepared. Like I know there are so many actors that came in fully ready to go. This, unless like something really happened that has affected your life in a major way. But normally it's because you just didn't put enough time and energy into it. So I think it's, you know, I don't want to hear that stuff. But other than that, I think, you know, ask your questions, do your thing and and it should all be fine. Would you say that the main reason an actor gets an audition is because of the real, like that is the first audition in a sense? First audition, yes. Personally, for me, I would say, because my sort of process when I'm looking through submissions is I look at like, when I'm kind of scrolling through the grid, I'm looking at headshots of like, who's sort of in the scope of the character. And then if someone sort of fits the bill in that way, I'll start looking at the demo reel. If the demo is great, I'll look at your resume, your skills, your training. And then that's like sort of the full picture for me. But the demo is, is super important for me because it, I mean, it's the best sort of sense of get, giving me the best sense of what you're capable of. So for me, like I would never encourage an actor to put anything on their demo reel that they are not super excited to showcase, you know? If they think that it would hinder their opportunities in any way, do not put that on there. Are you a fan of a full length demo reel or just clips? Um, personally, I'd say full reel. Um, I would, if you, again, if you have enough material then to, to separate comedy and drama. Um, if, yeah, so again, just don't use any filler stuff and put your strongest stuff at the beginning because I'm probably never gonna get to the end. I had a, an agent, I was looking for a, a doctor for something and I had an agent being like, there's a doctor scene on the thing, he's great, da da da, da. And I, I said, Last where scene. is it? Oh, it's the end. I'm like, I, I'm sorry. If it was a really sort of weak demo, I'm not gonna get to the end of it. Right. You know, so it should be about a minute, minute and a half, depending on the sort of scenes and, and your strongest stuff at the beginning and no filler. That's sort of my motto. A minute and a half max for a reel. I think so. Some people say 59 seconds. I mean, you, uh, depending on how technical you want to get. <laughs> even, even better. Right. 10 second reel. Let's just pump, pump through you. these. Right. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. What's a, what is a uh, best practice for an actor that hasn't been seen by you to kind of get on your radar? I think sort of just be active in the community is a big thing for me to be doing. I mean, it depends on where you are, but be doing theater, having, um, you know, uh, sending around short films, trying to get your stuff out there, I think is a big 
thing. And usually, I mean, I'm per particularly active and I'm generally open social media wise, which is how we got connected. Um, so I think, you know, that's a, it's going to be a case by case for, for casting directors. If it's a suit, if you can tell that somebody's profile is open and super actor friendly and, and they're doing, they're showing like industry stuff within their own profile, then I feel like it's, it's okay to approach. But if, you know, like for me, if people try to add me on Facebook and I've never met you, like that's an intrusion for me because my Facebook is private and it's mostly for like family and friends. So, so that's, I why, think, that's why you denied my friend request. Probably. I'm Sorry. just kidding. I'm, just <laughs> I'm like, dance. I don't think you did, but. <laughs> no, 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 I, I would not. <laughs> no. an, act, an actor could send you a short film that they just did like through a tweet or, or, or something or an updated reel like let's say you've only met this guy one or two times you have a good rapport when he or she is in the room would yeah. you welcome an email saying hey this is an update to my acting life or you probably won't yeah i think time. honestly like um my my thing with 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 sending emails to casting is it's it's not about just having your in your name pop up in their inbox to like remind them that you exist it's about actually updating them with something so when there's something that you are excited to share with people like that's when you send that email and i'm i'm all about watching it i may not respond to everything because there's so many actors <laughs> sending emails so you know i watch as much as i possibly can and for short films i definitely watch them all um but i it's i it's not something i discourage by any means and you've uh, been in the room and possibly cast some famous people, am I right? It's happened. <laughs> tell us, tell us about that. <laughs> I, I, most of it I can't tell you because I'm NDA'd up the wazoo. But ah. um, yes, it's it's definitely been an exciting journey and one that I probably would never sort of imagine myself to have um, when I got into casting or just you know, in, in as an adult and in, in you know real life but uh, it's you know some of these tables you get at and you're just like somebody made a mistake and they forgot to like remove me from the list or somebody put me on the list by accident but it's it's been a fun ride for sure that's awesome i know you've uh there's been a lot of big movies that you've been an assistant on casting assistant on or an associate um how is the experience working on those massive blockbuster movies compared to a lot of these indies um there are, there are a lot more resources, I'd say. Um, you know, one of them was The Force Awakens, which was one of those things that you just, you don't know how you get involved in, but you look around and you're there. Um, but like I went on a three week uh, tour basically of the Midwest and I was doing open calls, you know, seeing thousands of people. And I didn't know, like, I still don't know how I did that or, or how it happened, but it happened. Was that for and, the for the lead of the movie? Yeah, it was for, okay. for Daisy and for, for Daisy. John's role, for okay. Ray and Finn. And it was such such a wild experience. And and they were doing the same thing in the UK. And so it was one wow. of those things that, you know, it was massive. Like, I think just collectively in, in the States, through the seven cities, I think I saw 20,000 people. Was and that real really, though? Did really, all those people actually have a chance or was that just sometimes you hear the publicity of it? It was not publicity because I put it together. Okay. <laughs> it, um. was, it was a genuine search. Um, we didn't ultimately obviously find anybody from the States for those two roles, but in the UK, they pulled a lot of the, the people from the UK open call to be like the TIE fighters, to do all these like, you know, one-off roles. And for the lead um, roles, you just ended up casting the producer's family. Oh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, John fought his ass off to get that role. He worked so hard. Um, he, they, we read him sort of early on in the process and he was, he was cast very late in the pro I think we were ultimately, because we were signed on for 10 weeks originally and we ended up working on it for 11 months. Mm. So it was a very wow. long process. That's, a, that's super long. Yeah, it's very unusual generally speaking <laughs> but, how, do you, um, how do you even funnel through so many actors are, are you i'm assuming these are all tapes uh, is that what yeah, it is i mean in when we were doing the open calls it was live and in person sort of thing oh my um, god and then so what would happen is i would i was it was myself and a, um an extras casting director because she's used to dealing with lots of people and so we would travel to one place we would do the morning show which 
you don't need me on camera. So um, very uncomfortable. Do the morning show, publicize the, the open call. And then we would spend an entire day in like these banquet halls in the different cities. So like in Austin, we had like the place right next to the convention center, I think it was the Hilton. And it, it was like 600 people in a room. And it was like, it, we were, it was called a meet and greet. So you would come down, each row would filter down. You would have your resume or just to say hello or however you want to do it. If you looked and you sounded sort of like the age range that we were looking for and the sort of type, then you were sent to the next person next to me and she would take your information. And then the next day it was me and a camera in a smaller room and actors would just filter in, do the scene and then leave. And so wow. that, that was like every three days I was in a new city. Did you find people that were pretty solid out there or was there a lot of like- There was, uh, I, it's actually like the biggest gift I think that I had in casting is because I've, I met so many wonderful actors through that process and a lot okay. of them ended up moving to LA shortly after and I'm still in touch with a lot of them. So it was, it was such a cool experience that I really didn't expect. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Did they know they were auditioning for Star Wars or no? Yeah, it was, oh, okay. it was fully, like we tried to hide it under the guise of like a Disney movie. Okay. And we, our first city was St. Paul, Minnesota. And we, or no, sorry, it was St. Paul. And we, um, we went in and like 125 people showed up to the open call. And like in the middle of the open call. Um, they found out. They found, like, news broke that um, it was uh, Star Wars. And then we just decided to lean into it. And then the next city, it was like 5,000 people. <laughs> Wow, the, the first the first crop showed up and they're like why are the lines about lightsabers <laughs> <laughs> i thought this was a disney film oh. it was actually we had to use um sides from different movies i was gonna say this probably probably was what yeah, yeah uh, i think it was hunger game scenes was, i can't watch that oh, movie anymore too many times very, very similar to it but good job uh, casting pure... good job casting uh harrison ford yeah johnny what was it <laughs> who's that i don't know who that is <laughs> never heard of him um i wasn't always gonna say uh what about because i'm sure you eventually saw the tapes uh was what was it about um like john and daisy's tapes or whatever you saw that really kind of set them apart from everyone else daisy i think everybody knew right away um okay. she just had this fierceness about her that like it was a, it was a really important quality to the character um because she's a scavenger and mm. and i think also because she wasn't overcoached and she was, you know, it wasn't something, she was fresh out of drama school. She basically as raw as you can get and as moldable as you can get. So I think she grew a lot during that, the three, three films. Um, and, but there was just like her sort of essence of, it just matched Ray so perfectly. And with, with John, I think he had like a, he has sort of like a vulnerability and a humility and a sense of humor that that really kind of fit what we were looking for and it was and it was much more of a process to sort of um see who who finn was you know i think we had to see a lot of people and and sort of go back and forth and 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 a, a big problem with with that movie was and it's not really a problem but because it was the first one out the gate of the sort of relaunch of the franchise right. um it was so precious to everybody right. that nobody really wanted to pull the trigger and so it was more of like let's look under every stone to make sure it's right because we saw what happens with the prequels when they kind of rush things <laughs> and you know nobody wanted that to happen again yeah. <laughs> so yeah so it was, it was a long process but it was uh, clearly worthwhile at the end of it so yeah you got some good people oscar isaac man i love that guy he's so he, good he's <laughs> Huge I'll fan. watch him in anything. Yeah, definitely. Um, the only, I only had one one other uh, question. I was kind of wondering. Um, the, one of the films you did cast Skin won an Oscar, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm just wondering if, for one, when you first got involved with that project, did you ever think it would ever get to the pinnacle? I mean, because I what, how high can it possibly go? That's the <laughs> highest it can go, right? And um, also, did things change for you specifically after it won an award? So just to clarify, it was Skin the short film. But Skin the short film, Because yes. they also did a feature shortly after. Oh, I didn't know there was um, a feature as well. Yeah, okay. they I think they released one, it the summer after the Oscars. Um, but Skin the Shore, I, like, it was 100% a passion project. I didn't make a penny off of it. I worked on it for three months. I, ca like, I was very lucky that uh, Danielle McDonald and Jonathan Tucker were already attached to it. 
because they're incredible and sort of, and really sort of elevated the project. Um, and for me, like I was able to build the world with the supporting characters, but the, the really crucial part was casting the kids because it was, it was such an important part of the story because it's like the destruction of innocence through, you know, mm, yeah. the story that's being told. And so I think, um, it, that was such a challenging process for us. Like we saw so many kids um, and, and, and Tucker came and he worked with the kids in the room before we, we, when we were kind of narrowing it down. And so it was, it was a bit of a process, but you know, that was, it, it was very special because of the, the message and, and how poignant and timely it all continues to be, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, it's, it was definitely, everybody that was involved was incredibly passionate about it. So it was very exciting to see it rise and also how long it took because I think I worked on it three years before it went to the Oscars. Like it wow. was done, it took a while to sort of get traction and then it went to the film, the, the fe different festivals it went to. I can't remember which ones it went to, but um, I, th I think it won Holly Shorts. Okay. Um, and so I think, you know, you see, you see the little trail that it's building and then to still see it you know so far down the road and then go to the oscars was crazy but it was it was very exciting for everybody i mean yeah that's 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 insane did, did you feel like work changed for you after that happened not particularly <laughs> <I don't, laughs> they didn't I give mean, you enough credit they didn't give they don't give you guys enough credit yeah i think you know that's i don't know how often um, casting directors are looked at in turn, unless you're like Sarah Finn, who's building these massive, you know, Marvel worlds. Um, I don't, it, I, I don't know how much they're really looking at casting directors, um, but it's, it's definitely a feather in my cap and that I'm very proud of. And, and, you know, I just from it, like I got my, my first RDOs award and, you know, cause we, we don't have an Oscar. So we, we have our own awards, which are the RDOs awards. Um, which was very exciting for me. Congratulations, by the way. For skin? Yeah. For skin, yeah. Whoa, nice. Yeah. There you go. That was fun. We uh, did have, I have two questions from the audience, specific mm. questions for Jessica. Yeah, okay. I, had a, I had a few as well. Let me take a look and see which ones. There's some that <laughs> were just didn't make any sense at all. So I'll, I'll start <laughs> with one. Go ahead. Okay. Um, this, I mean, this one's very niche, but if you have dyslexia or trouble memorizing lines, what would you suggest I do in an audition? You just got to do it, right? I mean, they got to get past that. I mean, I think, you know, you take as much time as you can with it. I, the preparation is, I think, is, is key. And if, if you do get sort of, and if you're in an experience that you have to, you know, have an additional scene or something that's at last minute, I think you just have to let the casting director know um, because you need that time. You have to take the time. So I think that that's just knowing what you need. So it would be okay to reach out to casting and ask for a later time slot or something. Yeah. I would say, don't make it Jessica's problem. She should never know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, you know, when it's in terms of your own like needs, I think that that's important to, to let casting know if, if for some reason you don't have enough time with the material. I personally like to give 48 to 72 hours for someone with, with material if it's less than that, it means it's like worst case scenario for me. I, it's, it's not something I enjoy either because I want to give you the best opportunity to, to nail it, you know? And we do have another question from audience member, Ben. What makes an actor stand out in an audition? This was asked to us via Instagram. Personally, for me, it's the energy that they bring in the room. Like that, that stands out. Um, like you want to see the funny guy, like you want the funny guy to <laughs> pop in the room. If I, if I'm auditioning for a comedy maybe, but I think, you know, it's just being somebody being personable and, and as relaxed as possible. I know it's, it's definitely sort of a nerve inducing situation, but I think, you know, we are all humans at the end of the day and I want to have real connections with people. And, you know, the idea is that this is a long-term relationship. So this is not going to be the only opportunity unless you're a complete jerk in the room and you fight me on direction. I probably won't want to have that experience again, but if you're a pleasant person and you're a good actor and maybe just this role wasn't the right fit, there are so, I think that's a, that's a big uh, part of the conversation that it isn't happening. It needs to happen. Is, is actors being educated 
on how many other sort of outside forces are in play when it comes to booking a job. And there are so many people that are often involved that you will never see. And so I think it's, you know, it's knowing that. And when you don't book it, it's not personal. You may have given a great audition, but like they ended up booking the person that everybody could agree on versus like the bet. You know what I mean? So it's, it's so, it's so dependent on who the team is and what, what the project is. And, and there are so many outside forces that you can't make it too personal. And I know it's really hard to do that because it's your work. I get it, <laughs> but yeah. you have to try. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I had another audience question uh, from uh, Verlin. In your own words, what does ownership of the scene mean to you? I feel like he's pulling it from one of my Coffee with Casting Cats. Oh, maybe. Um, maybe. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> maybe he follows you and he's like, hey, because he asked a lot of questions. So maybe. Oh. Um, yeah, I, for me, that it's, it is making the scene your own. I think, you know, th a, this is sort of a stretch, but a good example is we, when we were doing Star Trek Into Darkness, there, you know, for Khan, it was such, uh, and nobody knew, I mean, they, did, they might have known, but they weren't supposed to know that it was Khan. And, you know, everybody sort of came in doing the same thing or making it super mustache twirly and, and very arch. And I think, you know, when Benedict Cumberbatch sent his self-tape in sitting at his friend's kitchen on an iPhone, like he, he had a different take on it. And it was something mm. that was so refreshing and so um, human that you don't, that you wouldn't necessarily connect with that character. And, and because of that, like he was crying by the end of the scene, which was not at all what anybody else had done. So I think it's, it's having your own interpretation of the scene and, and bringing yourself to, to the character versus trying to fit a mold. You feel like that can backfire in some ways too, because if someone could be like, let's say they were like, you know, he's crying in the scene. It's like, well, this character is not this at all. You know what I mean? I think it's about like finding the truth of the character in, in your interpretation versus okay. making making a bold choice for the sake of making a bold choice. I see. You know, I, see. I think that there's a there's a big difference between the two, um, and so I and that's you know that a big part of that is preparation and having the time to sort of to pull back the layers of these characters, and you know with with projects like that, there was very little information. Uh, given to the actors there was no script there were no real sides these sides were written for the sake of the auditions and so there was very little context around the sides. so it's really you know using your own sort of imagination and interpretation of where you think this character will go that's, that's interesting i didn't even, i thought i wouldn't think he would be auditioning at that point yeah but... well this was before this was literally like midway through sherlock oh okay so i star trek ended up making him sort of like a household name but he, he, you know, there was definitely an audience for him at the time, but this was sort of like was next level, I think. And I think after that, he wasn't auditioning. Right. He's like, I'm done. No more iPhone yeah. auditions for me. Right. Um, the last question I had from, uh, I had as well was, uh, if you could tell an actor only one thing seconds before hitting record on the self tape, what would it be? Breathe. Okay. That's a big thing. I think we can often tell that when an actor is not really breathing because the energy stops short and you're just not connected to your body. And I think that that's a big problem in most cases. And also you don't need to do 23 takes because often your best take is your second or third. That's what Johnny says. That I do, that I do agree on. I try yeah. to avoid not doing, I try to avoid doing less, less than three. Usually one or two, I'm like, it's not going to get any different. This is, <laughs> yeah. this is, this is it. It's I'll, not good. like the, the minutia of like one word is not going to change, you know? Right. So in and the other, I think just kind of to add on to that in terms of sending takes, like if you're going to send multiple takes, send no more than two and make sure they're different, like different, different choices. So if that, and that's only a question if you're not sure the direction of the character. Okay. That's good to know. Cause sometimes I often wonder if I should send in another one. Cause I'm like, ah, oh, this one's different, but I don't know if this is what they want yeah so that's good i think know. the harder of the two is like sending in self-tapes for co-stars versus guest stars or supporting characters because you know it, you really don't know what they're looking for and uh, we often have to cast or have to audition more actors for co-stars than any other roles so i think you know there are the, for those sort of things you can mix it up a little bit more and, and give a couple different takes do you think co-stars are going to go away 
in the future because of just because of the way things are they're like well less people on set they're not writing yeah. any roles i think a, a big and i i've been trying to talk to more writers about how they're adjusting um but i think there are going to be fewer co-stars and fewer non-recur like one-off guest stars like there's got to be heavy recurring because or ju or just like or maybe or just one-off uh, guest stars i because they I, they don't want actors going from show to show i think is the bottom line because they can't that's stuff they can't control right. so i would think it's either series regulars or heavy recurring guest stars are going to be the new thing um and then I, I think fewer sort of big name actors are going to be able to do several shows at the same time because they, again, don't want actors going from production to production, bringing whatever they're bringing with them sort of thing. So I don't, I don't know. It's a whole new world. Rolling with you guys. <laughs> whole, a whole new, whole new world. Anyway, uh, thank you uh, so much, Jessica. We really appreciate it uh, for taking the time out of your day to educate us. I learned to, a lot. Uh, I'm glad you told you told Aaron not to do that anymore, so he won't you know, be an <laughs> eager guy because it's too much, right? I learned a lot. Anytime. Yeah. <laughs> um, Jessica, where can our audience find you? Um, mostly on Instagram, and my handle is at jshermy, S-H-E-R-M-Y. Perfect. All right, awesome. guys. Great Thank episode. So. Yeah. Thank you so cool. much. Happy to. This is yeah. fun. Take care.